Welcome to Joint Effort with Des Moines Orthopedic Surgeons. This podcast covers the pain and injuries that are associated with muscles, ligaments, and joints. Welcome to another episode of Joint Effort. I'm the host, Jason Sullivan, here with Dr. Sean Spooner. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. So, Sean, I've known you pretty much since I've been in town, and uh, I know, you know, kind of what you do and the, the service you provide to the community at UniPoint Clinics, and I just want you to kind of tell our audience from your perspective kind of things you specialize in and how you went down that path. So your family in sports medicine specialized, but you also have this strong niche currently in concussions, uh, which is what you were telling me a couple of years ago. It's almost overwhelmed your practice in general. Um, we're going to get to concussions, but give me a little bit of background about yourself and how you got to where you're at. Sure. So, um, yeah, Sean Spooner, I, uh, Grew up in Iowa, small town by Sioux City, up in northwest Iowa. Did my undergrad at Iowa State, go Cyclones. Um, went to Iowa for med school, and then. So um, you stayed. You stayed a Cyclone fan. Oh yeah. That didn't change. No. That's okay. I mean, that's. Yeah, I try to support everyone. You know, but <laughs> when it comes to it, it's do you, a, it's do you root against Iowa if Iowa State's like not even involved, or are you okay with them doing? Uh, no, I think it's good to to see them succeed. Okay, because I know that there's some bitter fans on both sides that no matter what happens. They want to see absolute failure at all times, and I'm I'm kind of I I like to see both do well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Cyclones is diehard for you. It, it is. Okay. Yep. Well, you got a basketball team this year. We do. That's, Last night was a tough one. Who? Kansas. Kansas. Did they lost lose? By one. And then lost to Baylor by five. Yeah. You're right in the mix, though. We are. And then you go to Kansas City. You guys typically win that tournament when you have a good team. So. We'll see. You'll be all right. Yeah. But. All right, so Iowa State and then med school at Iowa? Yeah, I went to Iowa okay. um, and did that on a Navy scholarship. So um, afterwards, uh, headed off to San Diego to do my family medicine training there. Uh, finished that. Uh, they threw me around to a couple different places, uh, s- uh, South Korea. Um, really? Back to North Was that Chicago. deployment or how? Did no, it's a, bi- it's a duty station there, kind of in the middle of nowhere where you they throw a family doctor into a, a place all by themselves and say, hey, good luck. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. I'm sure you have stories from that. Oh, yeah. We could talk a lot about that experience. But it was great. Uh, but I had always had an interest in sports, um, sports medicine, exercise, wellness. Mm-hmm. And so I had applied for uh, what they call a, a primary care sports medicine fellowship. So yep. it's one year, um, kind of heavy on the orthopedic, non-surgical orthopedic stuff. You know, things you'd see, bread and butter injury kind of things. and But as it happens, it also involves a lot of concussions, and we see those too. And um, so we learn to manage sport-related con- concussions. Uh, towards the end of my career in the Navy, uh, they tapped me to go run kind of this special clinic over in Afghanistan. Um, Camp Leatherneck had a... Were you like... Thank you for that opportunity. Yeah. How do you how do you uh, you know I really that? no I, I was excited to do it because um, it was a it was a pretty kind of uh, cutting edge thing that they had going on yeah. um, around head injury management and had a lot of research uh, funding and support and uh, frankly I hadn't gone anywhere operational mm-hmm. and I kind of felt I owed it to the Navy to do something uh, out there and it, I wanted to have that experience anyway so I. I I was like, heck yeah, I'll do this. And they asked me if I would go and run this uh, clinic that was uh, there to, to manage non-surgical orthopedic injuries that you'd get yeah. uh, in combat, but also run a concussion center that was a regional referral center for the whole region of Afghanistan. Where were you stationed? 
That was Camp Leatherneck. It was Hellman Province, kind of the, oh, like the southwest corner. It, it, just a huge base, basically, that you're huge on? Huge base. Yeah, massive base. It's like 18 miles around. So oh, really? It's huge. It has its own airport, hospital. So is your clinic like kind of a pop-up clinic, or is it brick and mortar? or? It was like a Morton building kind of okay. kind of deal, and it was a compound. So we had a, we had a clinic. We had physical therapy space. We had an occupational therapist. Um, our, uh, we had a, a combat stress center next to us. So we had a psychiatrist and a neuropsychologist and uh, a bunch of corpsmen that were sort of our our, our trainers, if you would, our athletic trainers, yeah. boots on the ground guys. And, yeah. and a little mini hospital where we'd keep people who had um, suffered head injuries and were sensitive to lights and sounds and things and in a kind of climate-controlled space where we could help get them better. How busy were, were you dealing with head injuries? So in about two years, we had about we had 2,000 concussions that we managed, maybe 500 or so the year I was there. Wow. Um, the most in a day was 35. You know, they would come in batches when, when something. When there's a, some yeah. type of conflict. or Yeah, big boom happens, and a lot of guys get shockwave. Yeah. And so they'd come, they'd come in a big, big convoy and drop them off. And so you were kind of, this is what, eight or ten years ago? Or? This is 2013. 2013. So at that point, I guess you're probably thinking, and you probably, since you see so many of these patients, you realize a concussion isn't just boxed into one thing. This yeah. is a... Yeah, someone said once, and I, you know, this isn't my phrase, but I, I heard this uh, phrase before, if you've seen one concussion, you've seen one concussion. Because they all have similar characteristics, but they can be completely different um, in how they present. And so you really have to take each one of them individually and, and kind of manage them in a, in a purposeful manner. Um, we found it was best in a team approach. So that's kind of why the Navy had put together this complex with PT, OT, neuropsych, yeah. and sports medicine because we had the background in some concussion work to run this thing. So you come to Des Moines, and essentially you've, you've set that team up here. I came back. Uh, you know, it's time for me to get out. My family's from here. We wanted to come back here. So after nine years, it's time to get out. And I you know, had asked Unity Point, hey, can I do something? Can I do some sports, <laughs> some sports medicine? Yeah. Something? And they're like, yeah, sure, you know, come try it out. Uh, and then you start to see people coming in with head injuries. Sports, for sure, but way more non-sports. You know, car accidents, falls. Uh, work-related accidents, you name it. People can get concussions a lot of different ways. And I, I, I recognize these people, like, hey, I'll, you look very familiar. I know this injury. But I'm looking around, I'm like, I don't, have, I, don't have my, I don't have my team anymore. Right. And so you really have to try to find people who have that skill set, um, have an interest in developing skills around that sort of management. And so I did. I started to find, you know, I found a couple physical therapists who were really good at vestibular and cervical spine and functional vision. How do you problem. vet these? Because it's such a niche skill, right? Yeah. You know, I was just dumb luck. I ran, I ran into one of our therapists at Lutheran um, Outpatient Therapy. Uh, her name is Angela Barr, and she had uh, had moved here, I believe, from Scripps La Jolla in San Diego. She was working with our Wounded Warrior program oh, there. You're kidding so me. she had been doing all of this already, um, really top-notch uh, for physical therapy for concussions. And so she was it. And so I'm like, hey, look, I got, you know, you as my physical therapist, I got one part of the team. She introduced me to a speech language pathologist um, who worked also in that Lutheran clinic. Mm -hmm. And she became sort of our adult cognitive rehab therapist doing our cognitive coping strategies, cognitive rehabilitation skills. And so 
Um, we sort of had the cognitive and physical piece there. Um, and then over time, we've added a couple other really important pieces, uh, a sports neuropsychologist. Um, Tell me his role or his or her role. Uh, so Dr. Marla Shapiro, she is a, a brain injury expert. And so that can involve concussion. It can involve um, brain health, uh, gosh, behavioral, educational problems. She's going to work with more of our young adults, so maybe 35 and under, uh, cognitive problems, social and emotional mood issues, messy family environments, all the things that can impact a recovery. Um, Many times our complicated cases tend to be the concussion's probably over, frankly, metabolically, but they still have these chronic symptoms, and a lot of them is because there's some situational thing going on. Right. At work, at home, um, prior trauma informing their, their current symptoms, uh, history of anxiety disorder, things like that, that then we end up managing um, as part of that sure. collective injury. You, when you say metabolically, it's interesting. I've never, uh, and I know nothing compared to you in concussions, but I've never you know, refer to them that way. So let, let's get back to what, what, what is a concussion? Uh, so, you know, let's talk about it in terms of your definition of it, a lay person's definition of it, and then what does metabolically happen to that individual? Sure. So a concussion is a, <clears throat> a temporary functional injury to the brain. That means it's not a structural problem. It's a, it's a functional problem. And, and it, it appears that it is mostly a metabolic insult to the brain. So the the head, the brain takes a, an insult. It could be a, a direct blow. It could be a, a transmitted force from somewhere else. Um, and it changes a little bit the chemistry of the brain cells. Not all of them, but certain functional areas may be involved. Um, there's a complex ion flux that goes on. I could go real nerdy on you, but it's okay. I'm We're a, here. a flux of sodium potassium ions and whatnot. Okay. And in order to reset Does that... Does it destabilize the membrane? You could think of it that way. Okay. And so in order to re to reverse that or reset that, um, it sort of puts our sodium potassium pumps on, on, on overload. They start to overuse our intracellular glucose, our um, you know, sugar supply that we've got intracellularly, but it needs way more in order to get this done. Simultaneously, it can't bring more in very efficiently. Okay. So it ends up in sort of an energy crisis where it's using more energy to, re to repair itself. It can't utilize the energy efficiently. And so it's like running on slow Wi-Fi. The whole brain is just, it's, uh, it's a software problem. People think, well, is, it my, is my brain inflamed? Is it swollen? Is it right. bruised? It's not a bruise, it's not inflammation. Um, it's a software problem. The hardware is okay. And a lot of times we see that when they go to the emergency room and get a CT scan and it looks normal. It doesn't mean that they don't have an injury to the brain, it's just a functional injury. Is a CT scan mandatory for everyone with a concussion? No, it isn't, and it almost never, it Does it rarely give you any valuable anything. information? It, it, Other than they don't have a bleed. Yeah, right. No, just it, it reassures you there's not a, a, a structural right. component going on, and maybe it reassures the patient that that they don't have uh, you know some traumatic brain injury component. Mm -hmm. But often, more than not, it, it sometimes devalidates de the injury for them. They say, "Well, my CT was normal. normal." Yeah, right. Um, and then you have to kind of educate them as to what it is. Look, it's not a structural problem. It's a functional problem. It's a metabolic injury. Is there any? Uh, is there any imaging? or metabolic uptake or, or something that picks up a concussion? You know, there's these functional MRIs that are uh, more in the research area. Okay. You, you can't really get not them. Cost effective not cost-effective. Not cost-effective. Uh, they don't have great normative data yet, so we're not even sure necessarily what they'd show, but there are places around 
the country who will take a lot of your money to give you a functional MRI. It doesn't change treatment at all. So they probably don't have someone like you to do to, to even interpret the functional MRI for them. Well, I mean, you know, and I've talked to radiology, and a lot of times, unless you have certain algorithmic software packages, um, that it would be sort of fraudulent to be doing these scans anyway. Okay. All right. Fair enough. So if this is an injury, a generalized injury to the brain, can it manifest uh, physically many different ways for, yeah. for a patient? So depending on what area might be most involved, you might have a different a different set of subsystem, you know, subsymptoms, and some of them are, you know, so I guess the, the most common symptoms you're going to have physically are going to be generally headaches of some sort, okay. generally attention-type headache, uh, dizziness, uh, a sense of postural instability or um, imbalance, um, sensitivity to environment, lights, sounds. Can they affect speech? It can affect speech. Some people will have stuttering, slurred speech, uh, a lot of word-finding problems, just executive function skills. So now we're kind of getting into the cognitive part. People will often have slow cognition. Again, we're we're on slow Wi-Fi now. It, it, things just don't come as fast. You can't think of things. Uh, normal tasks seem frustrating. Okay. Um, functional memory problems where you forget what you were doing or forget where you're going or forget how to get there. And that causes a lot of emotional uh, responses too because but if you don't feel like you're yourself, if you feel like your brain's not working, it's hard. Yeah, it's going to cause some anxiety. You know? and, <laughs> Absolutely. And, so, and, and then also if you think there's some effect to some of our you know, neurotransmitters that, that manage mood also. So our happy, sad hormones, stress hormones, and so people will exhibit more anxiety, uh, emotional ability, you know, crying very easily at certain things, responding to things emotionally. So uh, you know, we, what we try to do is educate them a little bit on that pathophysiology. Right. This is what the concussion is. It's a temporary you know, metabolic insult to the brain on average, two to four weeks it takes for this metabolic chemistry set to sort of reset itself. Yep. And over that time, as your met metabolism imp imp improves, so will your symptoms. And uh, we try not to over-pathologize concussions mm -hmm. because it can become a very psychological thing. Um, a lot of reassurance, um, coach them to expect recovery, um, and then also to um, recover in a facilitated active recovery sort of way, which is different than how we used to coach people on recovery. You're basically enabling them to participate in their recovery as opposed to saying, hey, good luck, wait it out, see what happens. Yeah, you know, the old model of concussion treatment was um, no electronics, no lights, no sound, sit in a dark room yeah. and just wait to get better. And what we found is that actually impairs recovery and a lot of people will it Takes longer to recover? Absolutely. So uh, it should be an active recovery um, we encourage people to continue to be, uh, we, we encourage rest, but we use the term relative rest. So we want you to be cognitively active, physically active, uh, but know that you've got maybe a different limit to that tolerance of activity. You have to pace yourself. Uh, but get back to work, get back to school, maybe with some accommodations, restrictions, precautions, of course, but we want you into that real world environment again. Don't want you sitting at home very long. Um, and then let's help you get there slowly with some help. Is there any uh, objective data? Like are, there, are some of these tests that these sports teams take ahead of the preseason and then they suspect a concussion, they have someone take a test or whatever. Does that ever help tip your cap towards uh, 
you know, when you're talking to them, you're like, I'm not quite sure. And then you have them. Is there any objective measurements of a concussion? You know, so a lot of these preseason tests, um, you know, they, be, they become sort of mainstream. And, and I would almost say people can consider them standard of care. But you'd be surprised at how it's starting to kind of come back and turn around from those. And really because it's these, a lot of these tests aren't well standardized. And depending on many external factors, how you do on a preseason you know, baseline test can be different in the morning if you had four hours of sleep or eight hours of sleep, or if you've had breakfast yet or not, or if it's at the end of the day and you've had a long day. I mean, it's just all these things that can, well, what's the environment of that test? Is it a computer bank with eight other people around you? Is it a busy training room? Right. And, and so then you do the test after a concussion, and it's hard to know how to interpret that necessarily. Sure. Um, now, there is there value? Okay, you know, like there's always good. It's always good to have a little more data than than less data, and so if you can see that someone performed particularly worse than their baseline, okay, that may tell you that they they got some room to go, but it never, to me, changes how I manage people. Um, it, it 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 just helps give us a little bit. More. So objective information, not particularly. Uh, mm-hmm. There's not a test for a concussion. You know, there's some of this new stuff out on biomarkers and whatnot, and there's they're really more for uh, trauma environment, sure. uh, CT, should we get a CT or not, that sort of thing, rather than you know, on the sideline, let's tell you if you have a concussion. Yeah. In your practice, what are the three most common causes of concussion, generalized categories? Uh, motor vehicle accidents. Is that number one? Yeah, probably. Typically um, rear-ended or does it not? Typically rear-ended, okay. yeah, yeah, or T-bone probably. Okay. Uh, and then probably sports-related concussions or activity related so skateboarder bicyclist yeah uh, whether it's an organized sport or not um, those probably are second most common <coughs> demographic of concussions and then and then falls whether it be accidental falls or work-related injury yep. falls right. what do you see as the greatest risk what sports are the greatest risk that you see anecdotally and and are the uh, commissions of the sports doing enough to protect kids or athletes yeah I think you see a lot of concussions in um, soccer uh, here specifically, women's soccer, probably even more than men's soccer, football, wrestling, uh, cheerleading. Uh, Isn't actually, that crazy? Yeah, a ton of cheerleading, dance. Is that just getting thrown in the air and getting caught, or is it? More likely it's getting landed on, on yeah. honestly. People think it's the person on top. So men, a lot of times it's the person on bottom. You can. Yeah, but uh, in our practice, soccer is probably the most common. What do you think it is with soccer? You think it's the header, or do you think it's knocking heads when they're going for a header, or just falling to the ground? Or? Yeah, it's usually either head to ground or head to other body part, knees, elbows, Kay. body to body type of thing. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen one that was specifically from a header per se. Maybe a, they took a really strong kick to the head they weren't expecting, and so that could have been a, a mechanism of their concussion. What could you say to people that are listening about, you know, you always hear about the athletes that they, they had a concussion, they hit it from the team doc or whoever it is, right? What are the risks of doing something like that versus being open about it? and discovering the concussion with you and going through your protocol? I mean, what are the risks they assume by doing that? And that's a fantastic question. So we think really that some of these cases that you see in the media, you know, prior NFL cases, things like that, they they may have been because we we didn't manage the concussions correctly. Uh, We think that if you um, receive additional trauma while you're still in that metabolic window of recovery, that it can turn that into a much different thing. Now it can become more pathologic from a structural component. Um, 
diffuse axonal injury, uh, tau protein deposition, things like that. Uh, tau protein, just tell us real quick what yeah, those are. That's sort of the, the, the histopathology of CTE or other neurodegenerative conditions, you know, even Alzheimer's, things like that. They all share very similar pathologies there from the histological perspective. But we believe that a lot of that could be potentiated from head injuries that are cumulative while there's still a metabolic risk there. And that if we can manage these appropriately by uh, ensuring that people are fully recovered before they would unfortunately take another injury, mm -hmm. that their risk of long-term sequelae or effect from that should be much reduced. Okay. Now, if you're, if you're in that, if you're hiding a concussion and you go out in football, you get your bell rung, are you more prone with less velocity to have another concussion? Is yes. there any evidence of yes, that? Yes, your threshold for re-injury will be much less. Okay. And a lot of times we will see people who will come in and they'll say, I had two concussions. I had one last month and one this month. It's more likely they never recovered from their first concussion before they got the second one um, in most cases. And it's probably that they just weren't out of that metabolic window. We don't have a test that says, oh, your metabolically recovered. All right. we've got is uh, you know, our best judgment based off, can you tolerate, and this is why we make people do return to learn, right? They have to tolerate cognitive activities, school environment, all of that without symptom provocation. So now we can, now we know your brain can handle cognitive capacity without symptom. Do that, then we have to ramp you up through the return to play protocol. And that's why we have a, you know, a six to seven day ramp up. It's because we need to stress the metabolism through graded exercise and dynamic exercise to see if it can tolerate it. And if you get symptoms, dizziness, headache while you're in that protocol, you're not metabolically recovered. There's possibility that the window goes a bit beyond our ability to measure, and that's where we always have to think, you know, I don't know, I, I, I play this a little more conservative probably, and, right. and especially with our youngest athletes, our teenagers, high schoolers, you know, what's the risk, you know, what's risk benefit of taking an extra week off, uh, one extra game off, uh, or you know, uh, risking something more long term, and you know, gen generally the parents see that more clearly than the yeah. athlete does. Sometimes um, you bring up kids, and I I gotta throw a little credit to my wife because before I go on with the guest, I always say, hey, what what do you want to hear about this? Because really, that's who we're interested in yeah. reaching. And she said, uh, are the are the differences in having a concussion in your youth, and at what point in your youth versus being an adult? Um, yeah. Is there are we more static as an adult and change is more permanent or how does that play into your treatment algorithm and everything? Well, the adolescent brain and pediatric brain are more susceptible to injury. They're still developing. Um, they have not, um, they have not reached a maturity level that, that they can tolerate as much of a trauma. So um, yes, there's more concern with youth concussions, um, from, um, both a risk of obtaining a concussion and also a complexity of recovery um, than maybe someone in their 20s and 30s. Conversely, if you're in your 60s and 70s and you get a head injury, you don't have as much reserve probably mm -hmm. um, to deal with that. And so you see some complexities at the younger age and the older age, um, though you see exceptions all the way through where you have very minor youth concussions and very substantial, you know, 20, 30 year olds. Same concussion or let's say same car accident in a 50 year old versus a 12 year old who recovers quicker. <coughs> it's, it's variable. Is you, that right? You don't know the, the physics of what happened. Um, 
and also a lot of it's informed by comorbidities. You know, so what are your comorbidities? Do you have pre-existing migraines? Do you have pre-existing ADD, ADHD? Um, do you have pre-existing depression, anxiety, insomnia? All of those things make your experience with a concussion potentially worse. Yes, there are risk factors for a complex recovery from concussion. Uh, one of the biggest ones we've actually become more aware of over the past couple of years is um, non-restorative sleep. So people who, a lot of us probably, just function on less sleep than we ought to. Mm-hmm. And that does not do well with a concussion. Um, or people who... Uh, You're talking like, sleep preceding the concussion? Yeah. Not just sleep after the concussion. Correct. It's so, like your couple days before you had it. Right. Let's say you have, um, no, like let's say you have obstructive sleep apnea. Right. It's not diagnosed. And you're not getting restorative sleep, and you have sort of chronic insomnia. Um, that maybe not be fe- manifesting as cognitive problems or issues, but after a concussion, it sure can. And unless we address the sleep part, mm-hmm. people do not get better. And that can go on for years. We've had individuals come in two or three years out of work, and we have them do something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia with our neuropsychologist, really? CBTI, in a couple of months. What does that help them do? Sleep uh, better? Yeah. I mean, they're. If your brain doesn't re, doesn't recover and restore at night, it like it, it cannot function appropriately. Um, so it's been one of the most important. How do you get someone to sleep better? I'm curious. Uh, not drugs. It's a lot of first. It's coaching, sleep hygiene, basic stuff. Yep. But then um, someone like Dr. Shapiro and her ability to do this thing called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. It's very complex. Um, some of the stuff she does is be, beyond my understanding. I won't. I won't. Tend, tend to know, but, but what I will say is uh, um, a lot of coaching and therapy and um, reassurance, but also make sure they don't have functional things like sleep apnea. Okay. Um, and a lot of people, you know, do, and once those are addressed, their symptoms go away much quicker. Debunk a rumor for me that, you know, there are certain things or supplements you can take to make a concussion resolve quicker. Yeah, there's really no, there's no medication or supplement that is going to, that has been proven in any research to, um, improve concussion recovery there's you know if you look at the you can postulate around some of the bi- biology and so you know omega-3 fatty acids um, um, there is some data to support melatonin actually if you wanted to hold me really? to that, if you wanted to hold me to that um, there is there is some data that shows is that, that just because it helps induce sleep we do not know, know independent of sleep so independent of sleep there's some studies that showed that melatonin at, at whatever dose um, helped recover cognition a bit faster. Yeah. Um, and so, like, a lot of people do struggle with sleep, so that's a common thing we'll, we'll throw out there is a little melatonin. Have they looked at anything like dietary, like high-sugar diets or caloric restriction or fasting related to concussion recovery? Not in any serious way. Nothing we know of, yeah. yeah. Okay. Honestly, the most effective um, thing that has been found to improve rate of recovery from concussion is adequate sleep, and subthreshold aerobic exercise early after the concussion. So a lot. Are you of people, talking like zone two type training? Yeah. So people would, you know, back again. The old model was don't exercise. It's too much stress. What we found, and actually, um, Dr. Leedy and his folks out of Buffalo um, had found, was that uh, you can do some testing on a treadmill very early after concussion, and it's in sports related concussion. Yeah. Um, and you can find a threshold of say heart rate exertion that couples with exertion of symptoms and if you coach someone to exercise at about 70% of that threshold it can make them get better days to weeks faster than if they just sat around on the couch 
So a lot of it now is coaching athletic trainers to, under supervision, allow their concussed athletes to do a bit of light aerobic exercise. What's the theory behind that? Is there a working theory as to why that's helpful? There probably is. Um, I think a lot of it has to Is it stabilizing those membranes to some extent? Or I think is some it... of it is um, improving the health of, of our autonomic nervous system. Okay. So there's a thing called our autonomic nervous system. It has to do with um, you know, autonomic nervous system is our automatic nervous system. It does things like heart rate, blood pressure, gut motility, all the things you don't consciously control. One of those is cerebral blood flow on a microscopic mm -hmm. level. And so we think that some autonomic headaches can exist if people are particularly sensitive to physical exertion, um, exercise intolerance, and we think that we can, um, uh, I guess, help recover that autonomic dysfunction yeah. that's happening. Lead me down. So <clears throat> functionally, I get a concussion tonight. I say, hey, Sean, I, I need to be seen for this. Like, when are you getting people in related to their concussion? And lead me down their treatment path with you mm -hmm. to, you know, are you seeing them once a week? Are you seeing them to completion? Are you just give me a perspective on how that goes? You know, the sooner the better if we can get someone in to do two things right away. Educate them on what, what is going on. Mm -hmm. because they don't Do you require someone else come with them to the visit? Uh, I mean, not necessarily. It's nice because... Do you find that to be favorable, though? Oh, yes, because okay. some a lot of times they have a perspective that the concussed individual sure. doesn't have. Or, some or maybe can retain them. information right. you tell them that yeah. they... A lot of our information is all... I mean, we, we, we provide, we, I'm a habitual handout maker. Are you really? So I make a lot of handouts. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a highlighter, too. So these people go home with all these things highlighted so that they, they're not going to remember half of what I said. I yeah. want them to be able to look it back at it later and be like, oh, okay, I understand it. Yep. So no, you know, the earlier we can to provide education, to provide reassurance, um, and to help coach them through that, those early stages so, so they don't kind of get in a funk and, and also coach them on some of the you know good lifestyle modifications you would do early you know relative rest maybe it's not maybe it's not best to go to your busy call center office job mm -hmm. for 10 12 hour shifts the next couple of days you know like let's give you a little bit of a break um, it's okay to stay home for a couple of days um, coach them on appropriate you know treatments for a con you know, conservative management of headache yeah um, and all those things, you know, work on sleep, work on those things. So we co we coach, we talk about what expectations. Do they all then get set up with a consultation with your team based upon who needs what? Yeah, so based on how they present, you know, if it's very mild, they may not engage with anyone in our team. It may just be education, sure. you know, a one or two week follow-up. You know, if it's a sports-related concussion, usually one week. Who needs physical therapy? So folks who need physical therapy would benefit from physical therapy. Those who have probably more along the line of cervicogenic dysfunction, so neck strain, whiplash, okay. um, functional vision issues. So those are gonna be in the form of something called convergence dysfunctions, ability for the eyes to focus near and far, yep. cicadic function, you bounce between targets. So people have vestibulo-ocular issues, we send them to PT. They have cervicogenic issues. This is typically part of your workup when you're seeing them. Yeah. Th that's basically your physical exam component yes. of everything. Yeah, you go through neck, balance, so if they have true vestibular yeah. dysfunction. That's incredible. Yeah. Very detailed. I mean, that's unreal. I, I, I mean, <clears throat> I thought I knew a, a working amount of, you know, information on concussions, but this is fascinating. I, I didn't realize the extent of your team and all that you're doing that goes behind it. Some of these are lasting, said, two to four weeks. Yeah, two to four weeks is probably the average. Some people are better in three days. Some people don't get better for three months. How do you manage the kid? 
starting quarterback, you know, two weeks left in the season. He's got to play. He's got to play. How do you manage that? I'm just very truthful. You know, I talk about the, the short-term, long-term risk. We, you know, uh, I, I'm not going to budge um, because of, uh, you know, the passion and the emotion of, a, of an athlete. I, I will, I will, uh, I'll be sympathetic to that. Mm-hmm. But I won't allow them within my, you know, my own abilities to put themselves at risk for something more. And yep. So a lot of it's education. You know, look, this isn't just uh, you just ring your bell. Um, this is serious, and this could be long-lasting. And you know, um, young kids don't see much past tomorrow. And trying to help them slow down, understand what's happening. Are you the final authority then? So like, you think someone's getting through the metabolic, you know, uh, impairment they have? Are you then seeing them that week and saying, okay, we're good. You know, we're good here, and you clear them, or how does that work? I would be, um, I'll be cautious on that. Um, I, I do think it generally, yes, like we would give them the clearance, but I will give um, additional authority to the athletic trainer that is in charge of that athlete. So, because you see a lot of this where people will go and they'll doctor shop and they'll get a note from their doctor and they bring him back to their trainer and say, look, I got my clearance letter. Right. That trainer knows that kid. He knows his baseline better than any test we could have done before the season. He sees him at practice. He knows how he acts and um, a lot of times their eyes looking at watching them yeah they know they're not right yeah and they should have the power and, and the athletic directors should should acknowledge that to say no I, I I don't acknowledge this letter right now because I don't believe you're safe yep um, and so that's I I, t- I, I I really stress that with athletic trainers especially young athletic trainers mm-hmm. who are uh, right out of training they're a little nervous they don't want to step on any toes yeah it, they're, they're the kid is there. As long as you're doing right by the kid, it's yeah. all that matters. Absolutely. I mean, there's external pressures everywhere. Yeah. But yeah. So it leads me into kind of my last question for you. And you're talking about long-term effects. Um, we talked about threshold for having another one when you're still concussed. If you get through your concussive period uh, a year later, are you at a lower threshold for having another one? Kind of like a boxer who has a really good chin, but their career goes on. You know, their chin is yeah. not as good. Is it like that with concussion, or do you think it normalizes? We don't. We don't know for sure. I think so there's some theory that says that that perhaps, uh, perhaps you are maybe more potentiated towards a head injury a year later. It may be also that for some reason genetically, and physiologically, you're more susceptible to concussion in the first place, and maybe that's why you received your first concussion. But I don't know if we know enough to say that for sure. Kay. Certainly, in the short term, probably weeks to months after, um, that would be true. Um, a year out more. Hard to know. I, I think it's probably less, probably probably a fairly marginal risk based off that. And then what are we, long term, what, what have you seen in people that have multiple concussions? Are you talking depression, failure to, you know, uh, thrive in society, uh, chronic migraines? Are we talking to something as bad as CTE or is that more of a continuous uh, blow to the brain that's subconcussal? We've seen all of those things. Um, the majority of them do great, even the ones who have had four or five or six concussions. I think if they're managed appropriately and and I think if they have a, a favorable um, risk factor profile. So again, um, you know, academic issues, attention deficit issues, mood disorders that coexist with concussions just don't mm-hmm. respond as favorably. Um, and so that's probably a, a little bit of a genetic piece to that. Um, Yes, uh, probably the most common is chronic headaches. 
uh, many people, and this is a, a challenge for us too, where some kids already had, or young people had chronic daily headache or chronic migraine. So you get a concussion, they have headaches, but is it a functional headache from tension headache, migraine headache, uh, or is it a concussive headache? And uh, kind of working through that to understand, you can go back to participating with some occasional headaches because we think your metabolic concussion is better, but you still have headaches. So right. chronic headache, very common, but yes, I think the, uh, many, many cases of anxiety, anxiety more than depression. Um, and then unfortunately those cases that we don't necessarily treat early, but we see them later who will give us a history of, you know, I've, I've had 20 concussions in, you know, um, in my sport, uh, for example, um, motocross um mm -hmm. race racing you see mm -hmm. a lot of multiple 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 head sure. injuries and that and they don't necessarily have a real sophisticated sports med team around them a lot of a lot of times so they've done this over a decade um yes they will have some chronic issues with cognition functional memory um, emotional issues substance abuse maybe because they're trying to treat their own emotional issues with substance and then that kind of compiles on it and right it can be kind of tough we have seen cases of cte uh, that are unfortunate and you don't know that definitive you can't diagnose CTE uh, you know whilst an individual's alive mm -hmm. technically but you can postulate that they have some sort of chronic neurodegenerative condition from head injuries right um, well this is uh, about as eloquently as anyone can speak about a topic this is uh, amazing information uh, I would urge anyone who's got a kid who has had got you know has a concussion in the future or even if they themselves have had these repetitive episodes come see this guy because he's got the team and uh it it's an amazing service you're providing to central you know to des moines so we appreciate you very much coming on thank you for having me you got it thanks for listening to joint effort a podcast from des moines orthopedic surgeons if you have questions about this podcast and wish to schedule an appointment with the surgeon call 515-224-1414 or visit dmos.com